Mud Stories, Episode 15. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. And sometimes I think that's what we need to do with our God life in times of struggle is to keep that bigger picture in mind that God promises us he will never leave us or abandon us and holding on to that knowing that by faith is the thing that will get us through he will use everything for his glory Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. Today I'm talking with my friend, Laura Bogus, a recovering list maker worn out from trying to earn grace, who stepped into Christ's invitation to come like a little child with open hands surrendered. Laura has a master's degree in clinical psychology and works in a medical rehabilitation hospital, helping patients and their families cope with traumatic diagnoses such as brain injury, spinal cord injury, and stroke. And she believes in the healing power of story, often using storytelling in her therapy with her patients. Laura is an editor at thehighcalling.org. She blogs at her own site, laurabogus.com, and lives in a little valley in West Virginia with her husband and two sons who carry her heart around wherever they go. In this episode, we discuss the devastation of divorce on a child's life, the effects of choosing alcohol as a lifestyle, how black and white rule-oriented mentalities can wreak havoc on ourselves, the emptiness of spiritually dry seasons, and the beginning of Laura's journey into writing. Laura's written a book released one week ago today called Playdates with God, Having a Childlike Faith in a Grown-Up World. And from it today, she shares the difference between having a goal-oriented life and a story-oriented life, the significance of play, and even our physiological responses to anticipating play how paying attention with wonder slows down time, and how the nearness and love of God is so evident in the middle of even our suffering seasons. Laura just oozes with grace and gentleness as she tells her story, and yet is so very candid and honest, longing for us to know God wastes nothing in our lives, and more than ever He is waiting for us to come, to just come, to relax, let go, and just play. May your heart be encouraged by Laura's words today. Enjoy. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. Thank you for saying yes and for taking time to join us here and share some of your mud story. Hi, Jackie. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking. Well, I have to tell you, you know, I began blogging about three and a half years ago, and there were two main reasons I started blogging. Hmm. The first one was I felt called and compelled to share my story with the world, which I'd been delaying for quite some time. But secondly, I discovered this awesome, wonderful online community with so many amazing people. And I noticed they do this thing called link ups. And yeah. yeah, And so like the host of a blog would name a topic or a subject for a particular day. And then everybody on their own blog would write a post and they'd all come back and they'd link up and then you could go visit each person's post and write comments and interact with them and make friends. And I met you because you were the host of one of those link ups. Every Monday you hosted a link up called Playdates with God. And I just have to tell you, I came to love just visiting your space just felt like I was visiting the warmth of a living room home and just felt so peaceful. And it was so inviting. And the way you wrote was such intricacy and insight and 
used your words. I just, I can't thank you enough for your online place and for offering that link up space in those beginning years of my blogging. And now I've met you in person last year and we've hung out a bit together. And I just feel so thankful to know you and so glad that you're here with me today. Kindest thing that you could say, because that is my goal with my blog is to just provide a place where you can kick back and relax and pause for a little while, sort of a Sabbath on the page. So, yes. So that just makes my day to hear that, Jackie. And I, I remember very well when you started linking up and um, the Playdates community has been just a wonderful blessing in my life. And I'm very grateful for each and every person who links up and visits through that linky. It's been a great experience. Yeah, I just met so many wonderful people. So, so as we talk about your mud story today, even as far back in your childhood, life wasn't easy for you. Would you go back, Laura, and share some of that mud with us when it started to get thick and how you got a little stuck and what that looked like for you? (laughs) Well, when you first invited me um, and uh, I started considering how to best tell the story, I think I said to you, the question would be, which mud story would I share? So uh, <laughs> bear with me as I um, try to put the words together. But yes, I was raised in a very um, fundamentalist faith and um, had a, a very strong sense of community with our faith family as a child. And that was a wonderful way to grow up until everything falls apart. And that's what happened with my family. And my parents got divorced. And my mother was excommunicated from the congregation that had been so much a part of our life. I have two brothers and a sister that I grew up with, and we we're, we always said we were stair steps. We were all two years apart, so we were very close, very close family. And I was 11 when my parents separated. It changed everything, uh, as a breakup of of family does. We uh, stopped attending church. My mom started a relationship with a man who it wasn't necessarily a healthy one for her or for us. And um, we went from being very insulated and sheltered to sort of Uh, on our own in a lot of ways. Mm. And that led to, um, over the years, some poor decision-making on my part, parts of my brothers and sisters. When your family um, becomes disjointed that way and you you tend to um, feel that you're on your own, And that's how it felt back then. I moved in with my dad for a time. My younger brother, my sister lived with my mom. So not only were we separated emotionally, but physically as well. Mm. And so we went from a very close-knit family to estranged and um, isolated in a lot of ways. And throughout all that, um, I, I've developed a, a fierce anger at God and at God's people because of the way that they treated my mother and sort of turned my back on everything that I had been taught as a young girl. Hmm. And so began the mud, maybe Quicksand is a better yeah. word. <laughs> Quicksand indeed. Well, because it, it just engulfed you. It snapped you up and pulled you down. And I think, you know, so many people are affected by divorce, whether or not we were the child with our parents getting divorced or whether we ourselves have been divorced or someone in our family or someone we know has gone through divorce. It's just a ripping that's not meant to be and the pain just echoes and ripples in a widespread way. And so I'm sorry for your pain. That's so hard. Thank you. It's, um, you know, that is 
part of God's redemptive love uh, when you look back, and I'm sure we'll talk about this some more, Mm -hmm. um, seeing Him acting and working through all that pain, all the difficulty, it it just strengthens your relationship with Him. And that's that's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. So as you were in this isolated and angry place. Where did you go from there? What what did you find yourself leaning toward or seeking or doing really? I I sort of as I entered into my teenage years, um I went from one extreme to another. I initially I clung to the rules, the ways that I had been brought up in and tried to conform this new life into the old lens. Mm-hmm. And it, di- it didn't work because uh, so much was different. What I ended up doing, because I had very little parental supervision, was um, turning to uh, alcohol mm-hmm. and um, just making some poor choices. Mm -hmm. I was a very uh, shy young woman, and um, I discovered that I liked the way I felt after I'd had a few drinks. It made me more relaxed. Mm -hmm. It made me funner to be around, or so I thought. And so I guess it was when I was 17 was when that all sort of came to a head and um, I found a group of friends that did similar things and we just uh, went from one party to the next and there was no one in my life to say this is not good at that point so well and it probably became a way to numb the pain and to escape in a way from the trauma of what had happened and then just the emptiness that is the fundamentalist rules way of trying to love God, you know, because we all know way deep in our heart, we can never measure up. We can't do all the rules. I mean, even if we look back at the Pharisees and the Sadducees case in point, you know, it's impossible. We we cannot, we cannot measure up. So in some ways, many of us turn to addictive sort of behaviors to numb the pain that we have endured or are enduring, whether it's alcohol or relationships or eating, you know, there's a number of ways we can, we can do that sort of thing. And so for you, you found, you know, a place where you felt like there was a community, albeit a party community, you know, right? right. With alcohol. So it was a place of belonging. It, it, mm-hmm. it was a it was a family. It was the family that I had lost. Right, um, and um, it met a lot of the needs that I that I uh, was looking to fill at the time. Mm-hmm. But looking back, you know, you can I can clearly see how dysfunctional it was. <laughs> yeah. I was I was raised in a in a family where alcohol was used as a coping mechanism. And in fact, it was a large part of the reason my parents' marriage broke up. Mm -hmm. And so initially, I adhered strictly to that rule. I will never drink. It it broke up my family. I will never do this. And you can see how that black and white kind of thinking can mess with a young person Mm -hmm. because the minute that I crossed the line and broke that rule that I had set for myself, then there was no turning back. Either I did or I didn't. And if I did, then I might as well just go all the way in. Mm -hmm. Well, and then not only have you found yourself in an angry place, now you have shame. Right. That was a very big issue, the shame. Mm -hmm. I felt like, how could Jesus love me when I 
was making these poor choices. How could I ever return to him? How could he ever want me? Mm-hmm. I can relate to that so much, mm-hmm. so much, because you begin to think, well, if I if I'm disobedient this much, then maybe he really can't forgive me. Right. And and maybe I might as well just give up trying, you know. I, I think that happens to a lot of people. I I was listening to my pastor yesterday speak and he crossed his arms at the front of the platform and he said, you know, many of us are resistant to establishing time with God, not because we don't believe he loves us, but because we don't think we deserve his love. Mm, yes. And then he opened his arms and he said, God wants to be with you and you're enough just as you are. You know, that's what Jesus is for. And I just was so moved by that because, you know, I had just spent time reading your book and and here he was talking on the same subject. And, you know, sometimes when we start to see ways that God can move in other people's lives, it gives us hope that maybe he can move in ours, too. Yeah, that sounds like a very powerful sermon. (laughs) It was. And it's reminded me of what you're describing, because so many of us, I mean, I know a lot of people who are in their 70s and 80s who are angry people. They're bitter people. And they're people who I think so much water has gone under the bridge, so much of breaking rules and not feeling worthy enough for God to love them. And so much shame has built up almost like calluses around their heart that it's just almost impossible for them to let God in. And And how is it that we can be a people who don't end up that way, you know, and we find ourselves in the mud, like you're describing, you know, you're feeling like you're in a community that cares for you, a family that, albeit one that's probably not healthy for you, but so many of us, we just want to belong. We want to feel validated. We want to feel loved. And sometimes these addictive behaviors provide an avenue for that need to be met. Yeah, it's very true. So what happened as you walked in that lifestyle and you were moving on towards young adulthood and college? Um, Well, what, what happened was, even though I was angry at God and the faith community that I grew up in, every night I would continue to pray and cry out to God to rescue me. And I'll never forget... That was when Jesus became an intimate companion in my life. And that is probably the greatest blessing that came out of that season is the closeness that I developed with um, with Jesus. Because I could feel him right there beside me every night as I cried and just prayed, you know, how can you love me? help me to do better. I continued to foster that close relationship, even though I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And Jesus never left. He never left me, even though I continued to turn my back and make these poor choices in the daylight at night when I would call out to him. I always felt him there with me. And I just clung to that. I just clung to what I knew was real, that he loved me, even though I didn't feel like I deserved it. And as the years went on, I became sort of entrenched in a lifestyle of sin. I had a long-term relationship, and um, that actually, even though it wasn't healthy for me, it offered some stability in my life. Mm-hmm. So I was able to put myself through college. I, I you know, I worked two jobs. I, um, I made it through my undergraduate work in three years and um, applied to grad school. And when I was accepted in graduate school, 
it required that I move about oh, 200 miles away. And I ended up leaving behind a lot of that life that I had um, turned to mm-hmm. when I turned away from God. And the two years that I was working on my master's degree was sort of a a refining time. Um, I did not go to church during that time, but I was by myself in a a new city uh, with a new community. And um, I, I got to know myself again in ways that I hadn't before. I met my husband during that time and, um, we got married a year after I finished uh, graduate school. Um, he was not a believer. In fact, one of the questions that he uh, needed assurance about before we got married was, um, you're not going to go back to that weird religion you were raised in, right? <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I, I couldn't see a way back to God in any, in any mm-hmm. fashion. So we got married um, outside, not in a church, started our life together. And I thought that I was blissfully happy, even though there was an emptiness inside of me. And I continued every night to pray. My my uh, in-law, my mother-in-law, she attended church and she started asking me if I would come with her. I still didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel that I could be forgiven for the Mm -hmm. choices I had made. But I was moving closer to a place where uh, my heart was open to to God again. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I was expecting our first son that I took that step uh, and started going to church because, you know, we'll do things for our children that, that we won't do for ourselves. And I, my thought was, you know, maybe I'm not worthy of God, but I want this child to be raised knowing the Lord. I want this mm-hmm. child to have that relationship that has nurtured me even through the darkness. And so when yes. I joined um, when I was ba- I was baptized when I was seven months pregnant with um, Teddy, my son, who's he'll be eighteen in January. It was a new beginning, but still years before I felt I could let go of the shame mm-hmm. of the choices I had made. I think it's so powerful how you talked about how we'll do for our kids what we might not feel we can do for ourselves. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's that event of having children that begins us on a track thinking more about spiritual things, reflecting on God and who He is and how He interrelates to us. It's, Definitely. It's a gift. I mean, children are a gift anyway, but they can really be a gift in that way for so many people, don't you think? I think so. And I think... If I remember my Pew research, if you look into the numbers, you'll see that that is when people who left church in their college years, that's the age that they return after they start having children and starting a family. And it is an interesting phenomenon because it gets you back to what matters most, I think, when you uh, are thinking about passing on to the next generation what matters most, uh, faith seems to be something important. Uh, My husband went to church when he was a a young boy. Um, So after we had children, even though he wouldn't come to church with us, he encouraged me to take the boys to church and was always supportive of that, which would just boggle my mind and infuriate (laughs) me in so many ways. But Again, good enough for the children, but not for ourselves. Yeah, right, right. He knew that it gave him a good moral compass. And in his mind, that's what it would do for them. But now, of course, we know that there was something deeper going on there. Um, (laughs) The Holy, Holy Spirit was working on him even in those early days, but it wouldn't be for... 12 years of, of praying for him that he would join the church. And that was truly a God thing. Hmm. So you're 
reconnecting with God. You're taking the boys to church. How did the writing begin? And in the sense of writing as it related to what you do as a profession, tell everybody what your graduate degree was in and what you do by trade, and then tell us a little bit about how the writing began. Sure. Um, I have a master's in clinical psychology uh, in the state of West Virginia that I, I am a licensed psychologist. I work at a medical rehabilitation facility with uh, people who have medical diagnoses, uh, a lot of stroke patients, Mm -hmm. amputees. Traumatic brain injury, yeah. Yeah, spinal cord injury. So I do a lot of counseling um, with families and our patients. And they, uh, I feel like my patients are my muses in so many (laughs) ways. They inspire me. the, the hardships that they face with such grace. I, mm-hmm. I really, you know, of course, the the privacy laws prohibit me from mm-hmm. sharing their stories, but just yes. the fact that I get to walk with them through uh, much of their recovery and that they trust me with their stories is, is a tremendous privilege. Mm. Um, But the writing, I mean, I've always been a writer. I've always kept a journal. Journaling was really what helped me keep my sanity during my parents' divorce and in the years following when I was um, heading down that, that shaky path. But it wasn't until after I got married that I started listening to that voice inside of me that said, write it down, write it down. Hmm. And I remember, this is, this might sound like a very strange story, but it was when my, <laughs> my youngest, <laughs> they're always strange, aren't they? I love your story. I love everyone's story. Yeah. <laughs> stories, stories move us and they teach us and share they away, do. my friend. They do. <laughs> uh, my my youngest son was a year old, and he was just starting to talk a little bit, uh, and we were on vacation. And my husband took my older son out somewhere, so it was just me and the baby in, in the, the house that we'd rented. And we were listening to music and dancing, mm-hmm. and he looked up at me, and for the first time in his life... He said, I love you, mommy. Mm -hmm. And it felt like my heart might explode. (laughs) I'd never felt so much love for another human being in my life. And I remember asking God that day, what do you do with this? What does a person do with this kind of emotion, with this kind of love? Where do you go with this? How do you share it with the world? How do you make a difference? And it wasn't too much longer after that that I started feeling the urging, that little tugging Mm -hmm. to write it down. And the first thing I wrote was a novel that is unpublished. (laughs) Because that's where we all start with our writing, right? We just start by writing a novel. (laughs) That's right. The great American novel. Oh, Laura. I love it. Okay, so you started by writing a novel. And I did it in secret. You did? Yes. My husband was traveling a lot at the time, so I would start every time he went out of town it was like I was meeting with a a forbidden lover I would get out (laughs) my typewriter and I would write endless chapters of the story I was working on Uh, and I and I remember I I hid it under the bed the typewriter was one of those it was before the the personal computer like those word processors I had one of those yeah 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 oh I so remember that we're dating ourselves Laura isn't that funny? Oh, and, I even and, had the little tape that had the whiteout, like you'd slip it in and then you'd oh, yes. click the same I letter so those. that it would wipe the letter out, right? Exactly. Oh, you know. I you do. Know. I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard that writing fiction is like entering a whole nother world. Like the characters almost kind of become alive. Like you dream about yeah. them and they like it's like it's 
a whole nother place. I did. It, it became something that I thought about almost every minute that my mind wasn't occupied on something else was the story that I was working on. And right around that time, I attended um, my first writing conference. I went to the She Speaks conference for the first time. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful women and a wonderful ministry. And um, I attended a session on blogging. And this was, I think, in 2006 or 2007. I'll have to look at my records. <laughs> well, either which way, it was a while ago. It was in the infant stages of blogging, I hear. It was. Yes. My, I, I started blogging, I think, in early 2007. But I had gone to a session at the She Speaks conference on blogging, and I just thought, well, okay, I'm going to give this thing a try. And I got started on the blog. And of course, you look back at those earlier posts and you just cringe, you just cringe at the things that you thought were interesting to people other than your family. You know? But um, so funny. It, it was it was a really uh, great way to get disciplined with writing and to hone my craft and so blogging really was the start for me. It really invited me into a whole new world. I met some wonderful people. I got involved with the high calling through my blog, which if if your listeners don't know about the highcalling.org, it's a wonderful online magazine um, about faith and work and just and very encouraging. Very encouraging, yes. Definitely, definitely. The The mission is that God cares about our daily work, whether that is changing a diaper or trading stocks. That's the mission of the high calling, to encourage people that everything we do can be done for the glory of God, that mm-hmm. you don't have to be in ministry per se, that life is a ministry. Mm-hmm. Everything we do can be done for God. So I got involved with The High Calling and um, now work uh, as a content editor for them. And that's been a wonderful uh, growth-inducing part of my life and in my writing life, too. Uh, it's just been, it's amazing. When I look back, I just think, how, look what God did. Just look what God did. And here we are. So your relationship with Jesus progressed, I'm thinking as these years are going by, you're writing, you're making relationships, you're being edified and encouraged. You've now, all these years later, if we fast forward, you've written a book called Playdates with God. And I'm guessing the name was inspired by the wonderful link up Playdates with God that you've been doing every Monday for years. Tell us a little bit about how the book came to be. Well, I started hosting this link up after after I read Laura Barquette's book God in the Yard. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, no. but um, Laura uh, has been a wonderful writing mentor to me, and she's just an amazing teacher. Um, and she was my first managing editor at the high calling and she since has gone on to do other things, but she wrote a book called God in the yard. And it was about uh, this, this decision she had made to sit out in her yard every evening for a year, just sort of wait for God, wait on God in that time. And it it was such a, an influence on me that, I started thinking, you know, I need to I need to open my eyes to God in different ways. I had been doing a, a lot of spiritual disciplines. I I, um, I kept a regular quiet time. I was involved in Bible study and all all the usual. Mm-hmm. But I was feeling I was feeling a little bit stuck. I wasn't feeling the intimacy that I had felt in those younger days when when God would come to me in the, in the night and comfort me. 
And part of it, I think, is that as you as you grow and and become an adult, there are so many distractions. You know, you're especially for women. I think we are tasked with keeping track of all the ins and the outs of the family life. Um, so not only do we have whatever work we do on a daily basis, but we're keeping track of every individual member of the family and all the work that they're doing. The calendar is ours, mm-hmm. all the appointments. And and so there's only so much room in a person's mind for for things. And so I was feeling like my mind and my heart was very crowded and I was having trouble slowing down enough to just feel God's presence the regular quiet time it, it wasn't it wasn't meeting the need for me anymore and and that's not to say that it wouldn't have eventually I think I think we all go through different seasons of dryness in our spiritual life so mm-hmm. so I I was feeling like I needed to find God in a new way. And so I decided this would be a good way to try that every once a week I would meet with God in a new either a new physical place or a new emotional place just out of my comfort zone something new. And um that's how Playdates with God was born. I was going to say, if you read the book, then you read the story about the trampoline, which was sort of the impetus for the the feeling that that evoked in me, the childlike joy. I sneaked into my neighbor's yard and jumped on the trampoline, <laughs> <laughs> which I hadn't done probably since grade school. And it was it was such a freeing feeling um, that I I thought I need this I need this feeling in my life more more mm-hmm. often, and so that was really what what pushed me to start chasing after God that way. Well, I love how you in the book you talk about because let's just talk about the book for a little while. I mean. Your book. I just, I could, I could probably do a whole nother podcast episode on the book. So bear with me if I gush too much about the book, y'all. But this book, um, you talk about, you know, talking about the trampoline and new ways to meet with God. You know, I think many of us who have, you know, made decisions that we regret or decisions that we knew weren't pleasing to God. I mean, even if you don't have a relationship with God, we have the moral law of God written on our hearts, Scripture says, and people know in their gut whether they're doing something right or wrong. I really believe that. And so there's this drive for many of us to wonder, even when we're in a place of shame or guilt or feel like we can't really connect with God, there still is way under there a desire to connect with God. And, you know, these traditional spiritual disciplines that you've been talking about, you know, most of us do start because we are so rule oriented, you know, we start with, you know, our checklist of what we have to do. And especially as women, I, you know, men might do this too, but because I know there's some men that listen to this show. I I don't want to leave all y'all out, you know, Um, but you know, many of us are task oriented, we're goal oriented, and we have our list, okay, we need to get our Bible out, we need to read a certain passage, we need to pray a certain amount of minutes. And if if we don't have the time to do that big chunk of that, or, you know, memorize whatever passage, then sometimes many of us get hung up that we can't meet that standard, we don't end up pursuing God at all. And I love how you brought out the point, you know, in, in the beginning of the book, presenting this situation where, you know, when we fall in love with someone for the first time, there is all this euphoria, it's all this excitement, you know, and, and then in our relationships in general, sometimes that, that passion wanes unless we really pay attention and really cultivate it and work on it and go on date nights or whatever it is to feed the relationship. And it can be the same way with God where 
we just feel so disconnected or maybe we've known God before in our lives, but then we made some decisions that make that shame and guilt come in. And then we just don't feel that passion or that drive. Or maybe we begin trying to do the list of rules, you know, the list of things, and we feel dry still. And so I love how you say more than doing, God simply wants me. And you talk a, talk a little bit about how our lists and our goals can become our idols and really yes. block us from living a story-filled life of passion with God instead, and how story is so much more powerful than our goals. Well, there were a couple books and some research that I read that really drove those points home for me. The, the first body of research that I came across that really um, invited me to start pursuing my spiritual life in a different way was the work of Elaine and Arthur Aronson, who uh, they've published a lot of research on love. I mean, since the 70s, this, they're a married couple. They've been studying love. And in more recent years, um, one of Dr. Aronson's students, Bianca Acevedo, has been doing a lot of work with brain scans related to to um, to love and excitement and and sustained excitement and intimacy in marital relationships. But the the Aronsons posed this theory of love called the self expansion theory, and their research indicated that couples who, after more than twenty years of marriage, Continue, the ones who continue to report incidents of um, high levels of excitement and feelings of intimacy, as opposed to that sort of um, friendship love that a lot of marriages can fall into, these couples who maintained the high level of intimacy were couples who continued to do new things together and learn new things together. And so I tried to apply that to my my life with God. And that was why trying to schedule a play date and doing something new became really crucial, really, really important in, in sort of reigniting my passion for God. But also I realized that the spiritual disciplines that um, I'd been keeping, they had become a sort of checklist for me. I In the morning, I was getting up an hour early so I could pray and read scripture. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't misunderstand Absolutely. me. I wasn't letting those things penetrate my heart. I had come to a place where I was doing them because I felt like that's what a good Christian woman should do. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it in with a dogged mindset and, and not, I, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate God will always come to me somehow, somewhere in the midst of that. Yes. But I was missing a lot of joy and I realized that the disciplines had become an idol, that they become an image for me, trying to set forth this image of what a good Christian woman should do. And so I realized that I was becoming like the Pharisee in that I was learning about God, but I was missing the very thing that God wants more than anything from all of us, and that is relationship. Mm -hmm. So I began to ask myself, you know, how do I foster a close relationship with God? And of course, any close relationship requires time. Um, And the research that I had read on self-expansion theory was encouraging me to invest that time in ways that ignited my passion again. Mm-hmm. And so Playdates with God was born. Okay, so let's talk about play. 
You describe in the book the significance of play. And this to me was so profound to read because I must confess, I am not a player. My kids, I have four kids kind of stair-stepped like you and your siblings were. They're each two years apart, except for my oldest son, but they love to play. I mean, my girls... I found them playing church the other day with all their stuffed animals. They had them all lined up on the bed and they had this this reading lamp set up as a spotlight and all their kins and Barbies were the were the worship leaders and they were they were flying up they were they were flying them out over the stuffed animal audience because their church was really amazingly special with all these special wow. effects, right? But I mean, they can imagine anything and they are so present in the moment. And so when I read and, and I just they always want me to play and I'm like, play, you know, and I'm thinking of my list and all the things I have to do. So I'm really bad at playing, but I want to get better. After reading your words, I do, and I want to get better playing with God too. And so talk to us a little bit about play and how, you know, I know we don't have time to go into all the things that play is, you know, purposeless and voluntary and all of these things um, that play is, but tell us about the wonder of play and about, because a lot of your research in this book was so fascinating. And tell us about the dopamine and how the anticipation and just all of that that's involved with play, because I think it can change some people's lives because you've really opened the door to just a whole new way of pursuing God. And I just don't want people to miss it. Well, If you remember when you were a child and you stepped into your play, you can remember how time sort of stood still and you were transported really to another world, another place. Imagination ruled and, um, you know, a stick became a scepter and my your bike may have been a grand carriage. And those things were real and you could see them, you could feel them, you stepped into another world. And even though grown-up play may not look, you know, like the Barbies flying over the stuffed animals, it's... It's whatever ignites that sense of timelessness, that sense of the suspension of time. It's the the thing that makes you come alive and, and stay right in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's really what play as a grown-up needs to evoke. And what this, the dopamine, the response in our brain that the brain scans are showing when someone is engaged in that kind of activity. It's the same brain activity that cocaine elicits in Mm -hmm. a brain. It's a highly addictive kind of pattern. And what the studies show is that when we find that sweet spot, that, that place of joy that even just thinking about that activity can stimulate our brains to produce the feel good hor- the feel good hormones mm-hmm. and um, and neurotransmitters. So and it can also a, a dopamine is addicting. So in that sense, I mean, I'm familiar with the dopamine research as it relates to our sexual relationships in marriage and how dopamine's right. emitted from our brains when we have sexual activity with someone and really in in marriage and in monogamy that really addicts us to one another and what i found so fascinating right. is this information you were relating to our relationship with god if we find new and exciting ways to fill our lives with wonder and notice of who he is and he's faithful to meet us there. And, this, and he's even given us this really physical response to almost propel us toward him as our God. And it's all yes. in relation to play and not even actually doing the play, but anticipating the moment of getting to play. Yes. Yes. And I loved that. So fixing. So when the scripture tells us to fix our minds on God... And are all that is true and pure and lovely 
there's a there's a physiological reason. Yes. <laughs> and that was so amazing to read of. And then in relating to that, you talked about, you know, because as children, time moved so slow. I mean, summers lasted forever. And, you know, now in my 40s, you know, my day goes by so fast, I can't even keep track of all the things that I have to be responsible to do. And yet you talk about in this play, you know, evoking wonder also has a physiological basis in our brains too. Can, can you speak a little bit to that? Well, there's the research about um, the perception of time. Um, I came across a study by um, Professor Galinsky, I think was his name, where he discovered that when you're doing novel activities, and especially if you're immersed in a new culture altogether, the studies show that if if you move to a new country and you're you're experiencing everything new in that way, a new language, new culture, that time slows down or the perception of time slows mm-hmm. down. And so we, we just see time differently when we are engaged fully in the moments. Mm-hmm. But when we're distracted, they just slip through our fingers like so much mm-hmm. water. You yeah. know? But when we're focused and engaged that's when we feel um, the timing of God, those Kairos mm-hmm. moments. Yes. Well, and you talked about awaking to the wonder of the moment and being sl- slowing time with our attention. And, and it really does evoke joy by doing that. Yes. Yeah. I, I loved that. Oh, Laura. Our time is going by so fast. Um, it is. This has been so I fun. know. In closing, you know, I just want to ask you one last little thing. As we think about our mud in life, you know, trials, adversity, suffering, so many are facing suffering or maybe failure, decisions that we made of, in and of our own selves. When we're hurting and we don't feel close to God, you talk about in your book how the presence of Christ in our struggles so often can't be perceived when we're in the midst of them. And um, this guy named Gerald May said this quote that says, maybe sometimes when we feel most alone and abandoned by God, it is actually because he is so very close to us that we can no longer make the distinction could it be that sometimes jesus holds us so close that our weak human eyes cannot discern where we end and where he begins and i just loved that so let's end by talking a little bit about the love of god about the promise that when we're hurting he's near and the reassurance that you found in passages like the end of Romans 8. Talk to us a little bit about what we know about God and how he is with us when we're in our mud, in our deepest places of mud. Yes, Romans Romans 8 is my is my passage. Uh, you know that nothing will separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, or angels or demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, no height or depth, or anything in all creation can separate us from God's love. And that quote from Gerald May has has comforted me on more than one occasion when I'm kind of groping around to find God and I just keep coming up empty Mm -hmm. um, because I know, I know that He has promised me he will never leave me um, and that he is indeed inside of mm-hmm. me through the spirit. I heard um, it was one of Stephen Curtis Chapman's sons. Uh, and I, I, I'm sorry to say, I don't remember his name, but I, I went to a concert that his band was playing and he talked about 
looking at a painting once that was, it was an impressionistic painting. And when he was up close, he couldn't, he couldn't tell what the picture was, but when he stepped back, Hmm. he could, he could clearly see the composition and the beauty Mm -hmm. that the artist had intended. And sometimes I think, um, that's what we need to do with our God life in times of struggle is to keep that bigger picture in mind that God promises us he will never leave us or abandon us. And holding on to that, knowing that by faith is the thing that will get us mm-hmm. through. And there will be a time when we look back, just as I look back on my teenage years now, um, and I, I, I couldn't tell you at the time where God was working in that situation, but I know that He used every bit of that part of my story to bring me where I am today and to make me who I am. He will use everything for His glory mm-hmm. He wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. I I believe that, yeah, with all my heart. Me too, friend. Me, me too. (laughs) Well, Laura, such a gift to talk to you today. I cannot be more excited for you and um, just for this new book called Playdates with God, Having a Childlike Faith in a Grown-Up World. And it touched me in deep places and changed me. And so thank you. Thank you for writing these words. Yeah, I really I hope people go out and get it and know that even if they're in a place of shame, or they feel like what they've done or experienced is beyond God's ability to love them. I hope that they will uh, entertain some of the ideas that you present in your book and know that it doesn't have to be any traditional way, but they can find wonder and look for God and play with God in nature, or wherever they are in any of their ordinary daily days. So I hope so, too. All right. Well, we will talk soon. Thank you again for joining me, friend. It's my pleasure, Jack. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, that's all for this episode. You can find the show notes and all the links mentioned over at mudstories.com or jackiewatkins.com forward slash episode 15. I hope this episode encouraged you to know that there is not just one way to find connection with God, and I'd sure love to hear how you're exploring new avenues, just like Laura talked about, to see God in your everyday days, in nature, or even through play, right where you are. Again, I'm so thankful you took the time to hang out with us today, and I only wish I could meet each and every one of you in person and hear your story too. If you'd be so kind as to just tell one friend about this podcast, a friend who you think would be encouraged, and also you're always welcome to go directly over to iTunes, or you can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes to leave a rating or review, which will help more people be able to find this podcast and be encouraged too. So today, no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, May we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. A never-ending marble feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame and I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul As you lift me out of my muddy hole You wash me up with your sweet grace And you lead me to a safer place Feels a press upon my mind, a pull of shame 
song 